How y'all doing today? Come on, what a great day to be in church together. Very excited to be with all of you and welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Mike Burnett. I get to serve as lead pastor along with my wife and our team. We are so honored to serve you and we want to say welcome to you, especially if this is your first time at LifePoint Church. We want to say hey to everyone joining us on our online campus, those who are at our East Valley Dream Center in Phoenix, Arizona, Chandler, Arizona. In fact, hey, you guys are doing such a great work down there. I want to do, uh, do me a favor if you would today, give Danny and Giovanni a big old Tennessee hug. Now listen, in Arizona, y'all side hug and you're quick and you kind of, you know, but in the South, we hug, you know what I'm saying? Like we bring it in. So I want you to say uh, thank you for all of their leadership and what they get to do there. And Church, can we say what up to our whole church family, our digital church and online in Chandler, Arizona and Austin Peay State University. We love you guys. Man, I'm just excited for the future of LifePoint. And uh, I wanna encourage you, like Pastor Mark said earlier, if you haven't already uh, connected to your next step, today's of course Baptism Sunday. And if you've never been through our Next Steps class, that's membership, kind of information, history and vision and values of our church. And that is the only way to get involved at LifePoint. It's kind of the simple way. G Jesus said, I'm the only way, the only truth, the only life. He made it real simple to get to God. One way, it's the only way. And we did, we, we're not Jesus, but we tried to make one simple only way to get involved in our church. And so that's our next steps class. Then serve on a dream team and be a part of a small group. We think it's the best part of what we do here. And so I, I just wanna give you a guarantee. It's not money back because you didn't pay for it. But uh, if you would give God a year going through those four steps of our system, that is attend regularly on Sundays, go through our, be a part of a small group, go through our next steps class, and serve others, serve God by serving others. I'm telling you, a year from now, you'll be a different person. You'll be closer to the Lord, closer to his church. So we, we, we've given simple steps for you and believe that they are life transforming as well. Uh, we're in a, a season where we're celebrating what the Lord has done in our church. And uh, I think next week or the ne one of the next two Sundays, we're gonna be bringing our annual report. We do that every February. And I am just so thrilled to show you what God has done through your generosity and your serving and the hours of serving that you've done and the, the impact that you've made and so uh, stay tuned for that. But I just wanna say, remind you in December, you guys reacted very quickly to the needs of our Kentucky neighbors devastated by tornadoes, gave almost a half, right at a half a million dollars uh, in a week. And so I just wanna thank you for that. Thank you for that. And all of that money is leaving our church. All of that is going to make a difference. We got to buy more cars this last week. We're gonna have, uh, we're working to try to help put a, a pastor's house back together. He lost the whole thing. We're gonna help him with that. And we're still in a position uh, to receive generous contributions towards our clean, water initiative. In fact, if you didn't give a chance to give towards that in January, we always leave that giving, that giving opportunity open for you. Uh, whether you're purchasing water filters or digging a well, whatever you wanna do, I wanna encourage everyone in our church after our 21 days of fasting to partner with our Convoy of Hope partnership for clean drinking water. And you can give that online by selecting the uh, water initiative tab there or designating on an envelope or however you wanna do it. One of our core values as a church is we say, we actually have seven of them that our staff, we talk about often and we we're gonna start teaching more and more as a church, but one of our seven core values we say is we give generously. And we just believe what Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. Now, how many of you know your kids always quote that to you at Christmas, right? You know, mom, it's better to give than to receive. And if you're little and immature, it's better to receive. Like we always wanna be on the receiving end of things, but how many of you know as you grow, it is always better to give than to receive. I don't know a grumpy, generous person out there like that's truly a generous person. Now, nobody's excited about having taxes exacted from them, right? But when you get to give and you get to be generous, it is better to be a giver than, than the other. And, and I wanna explain why I think that is. Whether it's bringing tithes to the Lord, we're, we're a church that believes in tithing, we give 10% of our income to the Lord and we give 10% of the income of this church away. Or giving in offerings, being a generous tipper, being kind to your neighbors and generous to them. 
if you've ever been on the receiving end, it's always great, right? And I, I'm a gifts person, like I love getting a gift and no doubt, it's great. But when you're in a position to give, listen, not just because you're in a financial position finally that you can do that kind of giving, but here's what I think Jesus was getting at. When you've positioned yourself in your relationship with God, that you're able to hear from God and him trust that he can direct you and that you'll obey, that's a better position to be in. That God can say, man, I can trust you in this area of generosity. I've blessed you with this much and I can trust you and lead you to give this way. When you're in a position to hear from God, obey the Lord and willingly do it, that is always a better position. How many of you know it's always good to obey the Lord? Can I hear an amen? So I want us to be givers. I, I wanna do it because I wanna trust God and I wanna trust that God can lead me. If the Lord says, Mike, I want you to write this size check for water filters, I don't wanna wrestle with God and go, I don't know that Lord, I have faith in you for that. I wanna be able to hear from God and the Lord say it and then I just do it out of obedience. And that is always a better place to be than on the receiving end. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said, I want you to decide in your heart how you're gonna give. Don't give reluctantly or out of compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. When you're in a place of obedience to the Lord, man, that's a cheerful place to be. In the Message Bible, it says it like this. Everybody has to take time to think over your giving. Make up your mind, uh, and that'll protect you from sob stories and arm twisting. Listen, no one should ever give because they were manipulated. Never. That's not a generous way to give anyway. So, so I hope you never felt manipulated or arm twisted here. If you ever did, keep your gift. He said God loves it when the giver delights in giving. So that's, that's one of our values. We love to give. We love generosity here. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And I'm really excited to celebrate with you in just a week or two of how your giving has made a difference in the world. All right, hey, we're back in the book of Acts, everybody. Can you believe it? We started the book of Acts on Easter Sunday of 2021, and we're gonna finish it on Easter Sunday 2031. It's a 10-year series. We are committed to this book. No, we'll probably finish by the end of this year. I've got it planned out through September. We'll take a couple of short breaks again. But man, we started last... Easter, and we're almost to a year of this series, and we're in Acts chapter 11. If you have your Bible, since you brought your Bible, go ahead and turn with me there. And I titled the message, When God Changes What We Believe. Now, if you recall any of our Acts series so far, this is the establishment of the church. And the book of Acts is interesting uh, for preaching because it's not an epistle. It's not an instruction letter. It's, a, it's an historical narrative. It's like reading a history book about the early church. Well, you have to be really creative on how to teach principles and how to teach life lessons out of a history book. So imagine teaching warfare by reading a book of history about Normandy invasion. You know, like you have to extrapolate concepts, otherwise you're just reading the history. So, so reading the book of Acts and teaching through it creates some challenges, but I believe what God did in the early church, God wants to do in his church today. And just like he was saving people and changing people and transforming people, doing miracles, come on somebody. I think God still wants to do that in his church today. Can I hear an amen from anybody? That first crowd talked back to me. Y'all gotta talk back today, cause I'm gonna preach. I'm going to preach. How many of you believe God still wants to do what he's always done in his church? Save people, deliver people, miracles. Come on, somebody. Who's up for prison and beatings? Yeah, you're like, bring on the book of Acts, but not that part, right? It's coming. Well, well let me ask you this question. When's the last time God really changed you? Now, I'm talking to mostly a room of church folks. If you're not a believer, you're checking out Jesus. I'm so glad you're here. Don't give up on us. We're all messed up and we're glad you're here too. But if you're new to Christianity, you're, you're checking out, kind of kicking the tires on Christianity. This isn't really a question for you, but I'm asking Christians right now. When's the last time God showed you something new? When's the last time God taught you something? Maybe you, like, have you ever been studying the Bible and, 
and you come across a passage that you've probably read a dozen times or, or whatever, and you read it like it's the first time you've ever seen it, and you just have a profound moment with God. I've recently been moved, uh, you know, I've been pastoring this church for 12 years this summer. I've been in ministry for over 20, and uh, I have multiple degrees in theology, and, and I'm reading 2 Corinthians right now so slow because I feel like I've never seen it before. I'm reading through 2 Corinthians, and, and I got stuck in chapter one for like a week particularly on one verse. In fact, I've written some leadership talks on it. I'm trying to teach it to other people already. But I read this passage like I had never seen it before. And I'm, I'm pastor of this church, but I read 2 Corinthians 1.12 and the apostle Paul says this. He goes, as leaders, he's the apostle. He's the church planter. He's the, the guy running the church show in the New Testament. And he says, we wanna be known as Christian leaders. Listen to this. We wanna be known for simplicity, sincerity, not worldly wisdom, but supremely living in the grace of God towards you. And I'm reading that as a pastor going, Does, do I wanna be known that way? Like, do I wanna be known as simple? You know what simple means? Like nothing has mastery over your life. We are in such a, a busy, convoluted, like world where we just collect everything. I mean, how many of you guys got storage sheds for all the stuff you hadn't touched in 10 years? You know what I'm saying? Like we, simple is like holy and, and content with the Lord. Here's how you know if your life isn't simple. If you lost it all, do you still have everything in Jesus? Paul says, I just wanna be known for simplicity. I'm reading that going, I don't wanna ask my wife if I'm known for that. <laughs> simplicity, then he says sincerity, like I sincerely love God and I sincerely love people. Are, when you think of your pastor, and I'm not asking you to nod your head in gracious affirmation here, but like do you think of your leader as a simple leader and sincerely loves God and loves people? Third, he says, I don't wanna be known for giving into worldly wisdom. Man, that is, that is the temptation of the day, right? Like, be woke with the woke, be loud with the loud, be aggressive with the hashtag everything, like do what the world's doing and just do it as a Christian. I don't wanna be known for worldly wisdom. I wanna be known as a kingdom builder and maker. And then fourth, he says, I wanna live in the supreme grace of God towards people. I just wanna walk in the grace and the breath of God on my life and the gift of God towards others. And I'm reading that and I swear I've never seen it before. And I'm like, Lord God, help me like the apostle Paul and his son Timothy. God, would you teach me how to be simple, sincere, not worldly and gracious? When's the last time God just spoke to you and changed you? I work with Christians for a living. We are steel biting, pew chewing, you know, King James only hymn singing, bless God, I've been this way forever. I ain't changing for nothing kind of people. You ever notice religious people are kind of stuck in the mud? We have the uh, glory days theology. This is the way I was raised. This is the way I come up. I don't know about you, but I think God's moving us from glory to glory. And the glory days of Christians are always ahead, never behind. I'm thankful for your past, but I'm really excited about your future. And so I just wanna ask the question, like when's the last time God was able to change the way you think about something or someone or particularly about God's heart for people? How about your beliefs and practices? It's not just something you decided, but something God is showing you. I've heard stories about people in our church who have changed their hearts of racism through reading God's word. All of a sudden they're seeing white people and black people and Hispanic people different and Asian people different and those of other races, their own discrimination, they're having a conviction of God and it wasn't because some post on Facebook. When's the last time a Facebook post changed your life? Zero, ever, not at all. But man, God's word is still alive and transformative. I've heard people changing their hearts about serving, 
and giving because I had an encounter with God's word, an encounter with God's spirit. I had one guy in our church, he was trying to disprove tithing. That's old covenant, you don't have to tithe. Man, God don't need your money. And he got so like invested in studying what the Bible said about tithing, he became a tither. And he became a tither and a giver. And if you ask him about it now, he's like, I ain't never not giving to God. Because when the Lord changes us, man, it's something, isn't it? I had a professor in seminary, he would call it, he would say the joy of self-discovery, these aha moments with God. When's the last time God set you free from some way of thinking or believing? Maybe a theology or a, a way towards people. It may be a, an attitude about the church, forgiveness for somebody. I heard the testimony, it's a famous testimony of a, a guy named Cy Rogers. That, he died last year, actually. It's, uh, it's an amazing testimony. Cy was living a full-on gay lifestyle and planning a transitional surgery. And this is back in the 80s. He was encouraged by some friends to read the Bible, the New Testament, and to pray. And he was not interested in church at all. Grew up in church, got ostracized by church, got hurt by church folks. And he said, I'm not interested in going to church. I'm not interested in church people. I'm not interested in the church. But he began to read the Bible, the New Testament. And nobody's preaching at him. Nobody's doing anything. Like nobody's like putting him in a small group about what does it mean to be gay in this world? He just read God's word. And the Lord taught Sai. He would tell you, God taught me through the Bible that he loves me, that he'll, he can change me, he can transform me, and that he's got another life for me to live for him and not for me, and a life that would honor Jesus. And Sai, reading his Bible and in prayer, commits his whole life to Christ. He ends up repenting. He lived celibate for like 15 or 20 years. He ends up getting married and having a kid. He becomes this worldwide traveling evangelist and minister because God changed him. Now we love telling stories about God changing somebody far from God, but Christians, does God have the right to change you? Does God have the right to teach you some things about who he loves and who he accepts and who he's willing to change? Does God have the right to teach you about your giving and your serving patterns and, and whether or not you need to be baptized as a Christian? Does God himself have the right to change what we believe? That's what happened to the apostle Peter. God had to deal with Peter as a pastor, as a church leader. He's the first preacher of the New Testament. I mean, the, the first person to ever share the gospel was one of the women who went to the tomb and ran back to the city and told all the guys, Jesus is alive, by the way. Yeah. Women, get your preach on. So, so, but now Peter, closest friend to Jesus, he's the first one to preach to a massive crowd. Thousands of people have come to faith in Christ. And yet God had to deal with Peter as a pastor, as a church leader, and we read about that in Acts chapter 10. If you remember that we have this vision and he's gonna retell it in just a moment, but he has this vision on the top of a rooftop in Joppa where God's wanting him to go speak to a Roman officer about Jesus. And he's like, I don't wanna go talk to a Roman officer. He's not Jewish. Peter had a little issue in his heart called racism and discrimination against those not part of his tribe and his background. So here's Pastor Peter, the racist. Pastor Peter, the discriminator. <laughs> oh man, the Bible is so rich. So one chapter later, chapter 10 is the vision with God. And one chapter later, Peter is now teaching about that vision that he had with God and how God changed him. Watch this. Now I gotta, I gotta show you something. If you're open to God changing you, other people may not understand what God's doing in you. If you change your social media practice, if you start chilling out on all your political posts, if you start giving differently or witnessing to people differently or spending life with folks who don't know Jesus yet, People may not get what you're doing. They may not understand what God is doing in you. Let me just encourage you, do it anyway. Watch this. Chapter 11, 
So Peter has uh, had this vision with, uh, on the ho- rooftop in Joppa, and he meets with Cornelius, the Roman, and he leads him to Jesus. And now Gentiles are hearing the gospel and getting saved in droves. Now, if you don't know the term Gentile, it's a biblical term. It sounds, I don't know, I always felt like the word Gentile sounds a little negative, but I think uh, if any of you are not Jewish, you're a Gentile. So I wanna encourage all of you to start your emails this week. Good morning, Gentiles. Just send out, a, like start a meeting at work. Hey, Gentiles, if you go see a patient in your doctor's office, good afternoon, Gentile, how are you? You know, I just think it's funny. Anyway, Gentiles, so the Gentiles were non-Jews. Non-Jewish people, Romans, Asians, parts of Africa. I mean, the, anybody that was not Jerusalem Jews that had come under the covenant of Jerusalem, of Judaism, were Gentiles. That was just the title. It's like Southerners and everybody else in America. You know what I'm saying? So now watch this in verse one. Now the apostles and the brothers. So Peter had prayed for these Gentiles, Cornelius' house, and they get saved and the Holy Spirit falls on them. And they're like miracles, all this stuff's happening. And Peter's dumbfounded. In fact, God interrupted Peter's sermon, which I think is hilarious. He preached too long. So in chapter 11, verse one, it says, now the apostles and the brothers, these were all Jewish converts to Christ who were friends with Peter. Peter's the senior leader of the church now in Jerusalem and all the other apostles, his cabinet of leaders, the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Now you gotta understand why this is a huge deal for the apostles and for the Christians that were in Jerusalem. Remember, they were Jewish men before they followed Jesus. They, they met Jesus, the Jewish rabbi. They met Jesus as Jewish men, carpenters or, or tax collectors or, or fishermen. But they grew up in Judaism, which means they followed Torah, which means they went to synagogue and temple, which means they'd be, the men had been circumcised. And they were Jewish men who accepted the Jewish Messiah. In fact, they looked at being Christian. They weren't even called Christians yet for another couple of chapters. They looked at being a Christ follower as a, as a follower of Jesus as God's plan for the Jews. That because of Jesus, they are now completed in their faith with God and they have believed on Jesus as the promised Jewish Messiah, the Messiah for the Jews. In fact, there was an exception, there was an expectation or belief that the Messiah was basically for Israel and for the Jews. After all, all the prophecies about Messiah were given by Jewish prophets in your Bible, right? They were about a Jewish Messiah and and those stories were promised to Jewish people. There was no record of a Messiah or savior promised to Romans, Greeks, Africans, Asians, anybody else, any Gentile group. So Jews had been waiting on a Jewish Messiah. And now all of a sudden, this is a massive deal. Gentiles are accepting their Jewish Messiah. In fact, this would come up recurring, recurringly come up as a problem among these New Testament Christians. They're like, they're really excited about people getting saved, but then they're like, but not those people. But now, wait a minute. Romans are getting saved. They're our persecutors. They're the ones that have been lopping off people's heads and crucifying our Jesus. They're the ones that crucified Jesus and now they get to accept Jesus. They had their qualifications of who they allowed to be saved or wanted to be saved. This was a huge deal. Came with a lot of controversy. We'd later see They have a whole council about this. Like the first church council of the New Testament in Acts 15 was over this issue. Non-Jews getting saved by a Jewish Messiah without having to be circumcised. Hey, Gentiles, how would you like it if you came to LifePoint and we're like, we want you to give your life to Jesus, but first we got circumcision Saturday and you gotta come in and like commit to the Torah, get rid of all your shrimp and bacon and get the clip. How many guys would be like, I'm in, sign me up. You think vaccine mandates are bad. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a weird church, let me tell you. Circumcision Saturday. We need a shirt that just says. <laughs> who would wear that? I just want to know who would wear a cir- my man right there. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't say you got to go through it. Just wear the shirt. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. <laughs> so for these t- Jewish Christians, they're struggling with their Jewish Messiah saving non-Jewish people. Are y'all hearing this so far? And Peter struggled with it too. In fact, it's a, it's a problem with rel- religious discrimination. It's a problem with race because the Jews were a, a race. So it's racist. That's why I've always called Peter a racist prior to this. But now Gentiles, term given to non-Jewish people, were getting saved. They're receiving the word of God and it causes a problem. So let me just ask you before we move on, is there anybody in your life that you believe Jesus can't save those people? Is there anybody in your world that you've already decided they're gonna bust hell wide open. It could be a lifestyle choice. It could be a people who vote a certain way. It could be a race, a gender, an ethnicity. It could be churches who preach this kind of way. Maybe it's Muslims, maybe it's Mormons, maybe it's black people or white people or gay people, divorced people, alcoholics, someone who raped or molested someone else. Do you have a category of people that you would struggle when they receive the word of God? Because I'm asking the question, does God have the right to change you? Because I think every Christian's like, yay, reach people far from God, but not the people I don't like. So in verse two, so Peter gone up to Jerusalem and the circumcision party criticized him. Now this is not a party like, you know what I'm saying? Like bacon wrapped shrimp. It's not that kind of party. No DJ or dance floor. Um, This was the the name given to the group of Christians who were raised Jewish. Now, they're not fighting Jewish traditionalists here. They're they're, they're arguing with Christians who had accepted Jesus, but they were Jewish by upbringing and birth and tradition. This was the way they were raised. They kept kosher. They kept the law. They kept Torah. They went to synagogue. They still believed in circumcision. And so (laughs) they got nicknamed Circumcision Party. How would you like to be that group of church folks? Any New Testament Christians in the house? Yes, where'd you grow up? Jewish circumcision party. Get over there, Clippy. One of our values is we choose joy. We give generously, we choose joy. Come on, that's funny. Do y'all not read your Bible and laugh a little bit? The circumcision party. I'm not doing it. (laughs) That's deep in the YouTube clips right there. You got to go looking for that one. My uh, daughter, we're driving into church this morning, and I always listen to my sermon audio while I'm driving to church, and my older two daughters always ride in with me because they serve all day. And my daughter was like, are you going to do the circumcision party joke? I was like, girl, that's in the past. We're moving forward. Anyway, so Peter goes to Jerusalem. Now, remember in chapter 10, God's dealing with his racism about Gentiles, but they don't know that. So they're just hearing the result of his ministry. Gentiles are getting saved. So he goes to Jerusalem and they criticize him saying, you went to uncircumcised men, pause, how do you know? Anyway, and they ate. (laughs) You went and hung out. I'm just saying, is there a card? Maybe that's the vaccine card, I don't know. I'm not making a political statement. I'm just using current rhetoric to lighten the mood. 
You went to... <laughs> Stay focused, your people. So they said to Peter, you went to uncircumcised men and had dinner with them. Now listen, to have a meal with anybody is a sign of intimacy and connection. And, and the Jewish people knew, like, we don't associate with non-Jewish people. We certainly don't have meals with them. You remember who else got like, criticized for that? Jesus. And let me just tell you something. If you ever get criticized, people may not understand what God's doing in you. If you ever get criticized for being around that type of people, just know you're in good company with Peter and with Jesus. However, they crucified Jesus over this. So just know if you get canceled, that ain't crucifixion, so it's good enough. So first of all, the circumcision party was this group of people keeping Jewish traditions, Jewish practices. They were believers in Christ. These are, church, these are Christians, but they're still criticizing based on their traditions, not what God was doing new. They were believers in Jesus from the Jewish traditions and they challenged the notions that Gentiles could come to faith. The, the immediate way they challenged this was to question the fact that Peter ate with them. In other words, Peter hung out with sinners, Peter hung out with outsiders, and it just happened a chapter ago for the first time. You talk about quick criticism, right? They, but here's, what, here's the deal. They didn't see what Peter had gone through with Jesus on that rooftop. That vision wasn't for all of them. It wasn't broadcast on Instagram Live. They didn't have the experience of, that Peter had of watching Jesus welcome sinners to be close. They didn't know that this behavior of Peter, he actually watched and observed in Jesus. They didn't understand what God had done in Peter. And they may not understand what God's doing in you. They couldn't accept his love for others. Listen, we have said as a church, for as long as I've been here, this church loves all people. I don't care what you did yesterday. I don't care what your background is, who you've hurt, who you slept with, how you date, how you vote, what you drank. I don't care. We love you and we love people because God loves people. And we say it like this. Anybody is welcome at LifePoint Church to have their lives wrecked by Jesus, not by his people, but by him transformed. Peter had to have a meeting with Jesus to get his life changed. So anybody's welcome here. Now, listen, when I say that, I get criticism. Are you saying blank can come here? I go, of course. I got, I, got, I got called out one time by this 85-year-old guy I'd never even met before, but he had heard about our church, and he saw him. I was going to the gym, as you might believe, and so he, I'm walking in, and he's, hey, young man, and he calls me over to himself, and he says, what's the deal with that church? It's growing, it's all big and everything. I said, I don't know, God grows his church. I took my pre-workout, man, I'm jittery, I gotta go. And he says, you let anybody come in that church. I said, of course we do, it's God's house. I don't get to set like a litmus test of who can come. And he says, you let anybody come in there. You let all the genders come. I was like, there's two, uh, but what are you talking about? And he said, you know what I mean. And I said, you mean gay people can come to our church? He goes, yeah. I said, where else do you want gay people to go on Sunday morning? Where do you want straight people to go who are cheating on their wives on a Sunday morning? Where do you want, to, where do you want fornicators who are living with their girlfriend outside of marriage to go on a Sunday morning? Where do you want single moms to go and single dads to go and, and alcoholics and drugs? Where do you want people to go on a Sunday morning? Where do you want Christians to go on a Sunday morning, sir? I mean, come on, anybody's welcome to let Jesus change their life. Do we still believe God changes lives? Yes. See, many of us in the church will believe that the church needs to change their lives. No, 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 that's a failed experiment. Let Christ change their lives. Listen to me. Now, now when I say that, anybody's welcome here, I mean that. But that doesn't mean you can lead here. That doesn't mean you're going to start on the worship team your second Sunday after you beat your kids last night. No, 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 no. We're going to disciple you and, and train you and help you. But listen. God does not accept, hear me clearly as a pastor of this house, God never accepts any kind of sin, but he accepts all kinds of sinners. And here's what he, he accepts them to Jesus, and then Jesus goes, I'll clean all that up. 
There are plenty of church people who will never understand how we can say something like that. But that's because Jesus has taught us this because Jesus loves everybody, so we do too. We can't help it. Jesus accepts anybody that'll accept him. We don't get to choose who Jesus died for, so we don't get to reject who uh, may or may not be accepted by him. Listen, I wanna be clear. This doesn't mean we're soft on sin. The Bible is still true, it's still transformative, and it still gives us a guide for life. It doesn't mean that we're soft on sin or that we don't believe in following the Bible. We say, read your Bible and... So we're not letting the culture change Christianity, we're letting Christianity change culture. You can't live however you want just because you start coming here. You may believe in Jesus, but you gotta surrender to Jesus. It means we've all got room to grow. Whether you're a pastor or a first time guest, God will help us draw closer to him and grow as a follower of Christ. How many of you know God's still speaking? He's still leading by his spirit, leading through his word. He'll deliver us from sin. He'll help us live in a way that pleases him. My wife was reading a book yesterday, this theological book, and, and reads a quote by Zenis Bickett. It said, a respect for God's word and law is essential to, re- to righteous living. You can't just say, well, I'm a Christian now because I go to church. That's like saying I'm a car because I went to a shop. You can't say I'm a Christian because I go to church. You're a Christian because you follow Christ. And he said, you can't have a respect for God's, uh, 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 you can't have a respect for righteous living if you don't have a respect for God and his laws and his word. Satan leads people to believe that freedom is living without any of God's laws or restrictions. That is a lie from hell. If you think I can live however I want and God's grace is sufficient for me and he knows my heart and wink, wink, I've got grace. That's a lie from hell. That's what that is. That's not grace. That's crazy. If you have met the Lord and you would surrender to him from salvation, I promise you, he'll change you, he'll transform you, he'll purify your life. That's why we ask you to go to church, get in a small group, be discipled, serve on teams, get around the body of Christ, get into the word, read your Bible, do what it says. If you'll do that for a year, I'm telling you, you'll be a different person. Now, back to the text. We want anyone and everyone to be a part of this church, but not everyone's gonna agree with that. And that's okay. Just don't crucify me, you know what I'm saying? As a pastor, we just set the stage. We said, look, anybody can come here. Racists can come here. Adulterers can come here. Pastors can come here. Christians can come here. Lost people can come here. Muslims can come here. Atheists can come here. Sexually immoral people can come here. But our job is to introduce you to Jesus. And you're not just coming to join a church, you're joining the family of God. And that's not always popular. So listen, we love people. Some people may not understand it, but that's okay. Jesus was in that same, in Luke 15, right before he taught the parable of the coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, he was hanging out with lost people. And you know who criticized him? It wasn't lost people. You will never find a group of sinners going, that Jesus, man, he just hangs out with us all the time. You know what I'm saying? It was the religious people who it literally says they grumbled and complained saying, this Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors. So I'm just gonna tell you, if people don't understand why you go to a church that says anybody's welcome or why you've invited such and such family into your home, why you have have started inviting your coworkers who you may have thought before they're gonna bust hell wide open. If, If others don't understand, just know you're in good company. And religious people may criticize that. That's okay. We're praying for them too. It's interesting. Jesus prayed for the religious crowd that crucified him. But be bold about what God's showing you. Be bold about this. A love for people, a love for all people. Listen to this. Be bold about what God's doing in you and what God's doing in others. I love that Peter, I mean, this just happened a chapter ago, this vision on the top of the rooftop in Joppa. And I love how Peter shares the story of how God changed him. Like, 
he gets criticized. And instead of going, hey, these are real conversions. You don't know their story. God's doing something in their lives. He goes, well, let me tell you what God did in me so that that could happen. How Jesus changed my heart, my perspective towards these people. Peter was one of the 12 disciples considered Jesus' closest friend. And after the resurrection, he began his preaching ministry and thousands came to faith the day of his first sermon. But he had this issue. He was an exclusive segregationist. He was well known for preaching the gospel, but he was also known for preferred groups of Jews only. He was not gonna preach to Gentiles. He discriminated against non-Jewish people. It was religious prejudice and it was racist. And then in Acts chapter 10, Pastor Bo preached this back in December. Peter had an amazing encounter with Jesus about his heart. Remember, Gentiles are anyone not Jewish, but God loves all people. So remember what I asked you earlier. Do we still believe God changes lives? And better question is, do we, do we think God has the right to change us? See, it's one thing to be excited about God changing lost people, but what about God changing saved people? <laughs> my, my, my. So Peter has this amazing encounter, and I, I just want to, they, they criticized him, and it says Peter began to explain it, explain it to them in order. Watch this, verse 5. He tells his story. By the way, your testimony is powerful. You need to share with people what God's doing through you and in you and how he's growing you. Share that. Like I told you about 2 Corinthians 1.12. Share that with people. Listen to this, verse 5. He goes, let me tell you what happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me, looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And then I heard this voice. I just imagine him a good storyteller. Then I heard this voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And I said, by no means, Lord. How many of y'all good at telling God no? Well, the apostle Peter was too. First thing he said, by no means, Lord. And those we said, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. I, I find it really interesting that Peter would rather obey the law than obey the Lord. Oh, I'm talking to somebody now. Y'all didn't want to amen that one. <laughs> He'd rather obey his traditions, his law, his legalism. No, 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 God, nothing unclean's ever come into this mouth. It's almost like him going, and by God, I ain't starting today. The Lord says, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, I'm not doing what you said. No, because I'm bound by the law. This is where Peter had to change. Church people, listen, this is one of our greatest struggles. We get so wrapped up in our tradition or our, by God, this is what I believe about them. And the Lord may say, I want you to rise and go and share the God, invite them into your home. We go, no, 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 that kind of person would never be in my house. He said, the voice answered a second time from heaven and said, what God has made clean. You need to underline that. What God has made clean. God will make them clean. Do not call common. Then Peter says, this happened three times. Now, I know all of you would say, if Jesus would show up in a dream to me, I'll do whatever he says. No, you wouldn't. Moses didn't. Peter, best friend of Jesus, took Jesus three times knocking on this dude's hard head. That's why he had to do it three times. You'd think Peter would be like, yes, Lord. He's like, no, nah, man, I ain't doing that. Are you crazy? He's, he's probably thinking, I had bad tuna last night. Like, what is wrong with me? And the Lord had to tell Peter three times. He just had a way with Peter. Three times he had to do stuff with him. Do you, you remember John 20? Anyway. Three times he had to say this to me. And, in, and then the vision was drawn up back into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived. 
at the house in which we were, and they sent to me from Caesarea, which is a Roman province. And the Spirit of God told me to go with them, which I would have never done on my own, making no, God told me, go with them and make no distinction. In other words, don't look at them as Gentiles, don't look at them as different than you, don't distinguish them against yourself. Go with them, make no distinguish, distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us, this is Cornelius, how he had seen an angel. Remember, the religious people are critiquing that the Gentiles are hearing the gospel. He's like, well, here's what happened. This is the story. And we get to the guy's house, and he said, an angel stood in his house saying, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. Can I just pause there for a second and tell you, God may be stirring the very people you think aren't worthy of God's love, and they're just waiting on you to come to them. The angel spoke to Cornelius before he spoke to Peter. That's another sermon. He, he says, send to Joppa, bring Simon, who's called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You gotta hear the gospel to be saved. You can't just be saved by thinking about it. You have to hear the message, receive it. No one's saved without the gospel. You gotta hear it and receive it and believe it. And you'll be saved, you and your whole household. Verse 15, this is great, Peter, the insecure preacher. As soon as I started talking, the Holy Spirit fell and interrupted the sermon. He, the Holy Spirit fell on them, look at this, just as the Holy Spirit fell on us at the beginning of this whole thing. And so I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Listen, I want you to notice a few things from this whole discourse. Jesus uses a food analogy to change Peter's heart for people. Something about men. If you talk to us about food, we'll get it. Okay, here's a brownie. This, <laughs> this is your brain on drugs. You remember that commercial? Fried eggs. I never forgot it. Never did drugs because of an egg. <laughs> if you want, it, he gives him a food analogy, but he's really dealing with his heart. Food was seen as clean and unclean. And it made sense to Peter, kosher and unkosher, right? Peter was a good Jew and he said, I've never eaten anything that the Jewish law would consider unclean. Look at what he said in verse eight again. By no means, Lord, nothing common or unclean. But remember, Jesus is trying to change Peter's heart for people, not just his diet. Peter's heart is the heart many of us have for certain people groups, their lifestyle, their classes, their class of people, their race, their economic makeup, their history, their, their, their lifestyle, their sexual patterns, their religion. We would say, by no means, I don't do life with those kind of people. Not them, not that person who hurt me, not the Muslim or Mormon, the gay person, the adulterer, the Democrat, the Republican, the white person, the black person, not the immigrant. Jesus' response is what changed his heart. See, he used a food analogy, not to change his diet, but to change his heart towards people. Look at verse nine. You need to understand, this is so subtle, I've missed it almost every time I've read it. He said, what God has made clean. See, religion doesn't clean up, even belief doesn't clean, and certainly religious people don't make people clean. What God has made clean, do not ever again call common. Now, in that moment, praise God, he said, all that food is clean, so get your bacon-wrapped shrimp on. But Jesus was changing Peter's heart for people. Let me just say this. Jesus didn't say that all manner of people are just automatically clean, that they can live how they want, and now God's okay with their sin. What he's saying is God will clean them up. God will do the work of transformation. That means anyone can come to Jesus, and he will clean them up. Remember, God accepts us, and God changes us. Greedy people, sexually immoral, drunks, idolaters, violent abusers, adulterers, liars, gluttons, God-haters, unbelievers— Anybody's welcome to Jesus so God can change their life. What God makes clean, we don't ever get to call common. Don't get it twisted. 
We got this prevailing thought today in our world that you can just believe in Jesus, that he was real, and then just live however you want. You, can, you can't keep stealing and lying and sleeping with whoever you want, cussing folks out at Walmart, living ungodly. But hey, I believe in Jesus now. The devil believes in Jesus. He just doesn't live for him. You're welcome to him. Listen, you're welcome to Christ, and he is welcome to cleanse you. I want you to understand this. God never sterilizes sin. He doesn't go, you know what? I get your heart. I understand your background. I understand your abuse history. And, and I, get, I get it. This is your third live-in boyfriend. No problem. You know what? I know your heart. It's all good. I'll sterilize that whole thing. I'll just call it clean. No, no, no. God never sterilizes sin because he can't stand it. He delivers us from our sin. And he'll cleanse us. And it's a work of God to do that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so Peter has this amazing encounter that he had with God. I gotta finish. And he's telling it in a way that says, hey guys, all this stuff you're hearing about Gentiles getting saved, that's because God changed me. Do you understand the transformation that our world can go through if the church would get this message and be changed by God? He's changed me. He's changed the way I've thought about Gentiles. He's changed the way I hang out with them. I don't even discriminate at all. I can't distinguish myself. I'm a Jew, you're a Gentile. He said, no more distinction. He used to have racially exclusive attitudes towards salvation for non-Jews, but God changed his heart. And he didn't just keep that to himself. He shared it with others. Why? Because they needed their heart changed too. Clearly, they were critical of this to begin with. One of the most dangerous things Christians do is think they've got it all figured out. Think, I don't need to change anymore. I'm telling you, I believe in Jesus. I got my church. I got my history, my patterns. I'm gonna do what I do, bless God. If you are an unteachable person, you are gonna struggle as a follower of Jesus because God will always teach you something new. I'm telling you, sometimes church people can get so defiant and dogmatic about what they believe, how they were raised, or their pain points of, that are never gonna change them, who can and can't be saved, what kind of music is God's favorite, what denomination is the right one, can a woman preach or pastor, does God really love all people? Let God be God. Let God be in charge of his church, and let God change us as well. Then be as bold as you can. Let the scripture inform more than our culture more than your opinions, and more than your church traditions. Can I hear an amen, everybody? That's why we don't, we're not real dogmatic here at LifePoint when it comes, you must believe these things. We just go, we believe the Bible. And we're always growing in the word. <laughs> Listen, there's things that I'm reading in the Bible for the first time, 22 years of salvation. And I'm going, I never knew that was there. And it changes me. We, we believe the Bible is alive and active and, and working in us. Can I hear an amen? So I gotta finish, I'm over time. Y'all get anything out of this talk today? I want you to ask the question, who in your life have you decided God doesn't love them? God doesn't want them. God can't change them. Because that's a place where God wants to change you first. See, before God, God had sent an angel to Cornelius before he gave a sheet from the heavens to Peter. In fact, if you go back and read it, that's the actual order of operations. But in order for God to change Cornelius, God had to change Pastor Peter. I'm telling you, you've got neighbors and coworkers and friends and family members. God, is wait, God wants to change their lives. But you're in their life and maybe you're in their way. And God's saying, I want to change you because I'm going to use you for them. So let God be God. Let God change who he wants to change. Let God save who he wants to save. Because we don't have to be. I want to set you free from that. You're off the hook. You're not God. Peter looks back at the people who were questioning him. He just said, here's what God's done in me, and that's why all these people are getting saved. Watch this. He looks at the people, and he says this in verse 17. 
If then God gave the same gift to them that he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, that gift of salvation, he says, who was I to stand in the way of God? I mean, Peter's literally preaching. He says, says, while I was still preaching, the Holy Spirit fell. I mean, that's how you know God's in charge of his church when he shuts the preacher up. That's one way to know God's in charge of his church. He said, who was I to stand in the way of God? And this is a question we have to ask. Who are we to decide who God can't save? Who are we to decide who can't come to our church? Who are we to decide that? If God would give them the same, he's quoting here himself from Acts 2, by the way. You don't have to turn there, but look at this. Peter in his first sermon, he's talking about salvation through the Holy Spirit, through the belief in Jesus. He goes, this promise is for you guys. And he's talking to a crowd full of Jews, watch this. He goes, the promise is for you and your children and look at this, and for all who are far off in America and Clarksville in 2022. He said, it's for everyone far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. It's interesting that nine chapters ago, Peter preached it, but one chapter ago, Peter finally believed it because Peter had to change. And God was wanting to save them, but God needed to change Peter first. Peter preached it earlier, but now he believes it. He was changed by God. He had a heart for people who would otherwise be disqualified from God. And he had this tension, I'm gonna obey the law over the Lord. And he had to get over that, he had to grow. So I want you to think in your own heart and life, who do we stand in the way of God saving and seeing someone that maybe we don't care for? Who, Who do we say that God can't and won't do something in the heart of that person? Someone who's hurt you, grieved you, sinned against you, abused you, abandoned you. Who are we to say? that God can't use certain people in, in ministry or do something for God. Maybe she's a woman, she's been, maybe because he murdered somebody. I have a great friend of mine who in the 80s brutally murdered someone, went to prison, gave his life to Jesus, became a minister and now pastors an amazing church. Remember, God will make people clean. Remember that? Don't ever call what God has made clean, common. And then it says this in verse 18 and we're done. So when they heard these things, they argued with him, they posted and hashtagged him out and they canceled Peter. They hashtagged him to death and reposted his sermon and said, can you believe what my pastor's saying? When they heard what Peter said, they shut up. There's something about truth that silences stupid. (laughs) That's another t-shirt. Truth will silence stupid. I mean, they had nothing to argue. You can't argue with a changed life. So when they heard this, they fell silent. And look what they did next. They started criticizing, verse one, but by verse 18, they lift their hands and they praise God. They glorify God saying, then to the Gentiles also, come on, God has granted repentance that leads to life. I want you to fill in the blank for the word Gentiles. And I want you to begin worshiping God and saying, Lord, to the abusers, Lord, to the adulterers, Lord, to to the, this person, that person, that group, whatever group, Lord, you have granted repentance that leads to life. We're not gonna argue what God can do. We're gonna get in line with who God's doing it through, right? Something about telling the truth that just silences drama. It's hard to argue with a changed life. So let me ask you this church, what if we became relentless in inviting people to church? You know, you ask church people, hey, invite your friends to church and they invite all their Christian friends from other churches. Don't invite church people from other churches. If you go to another church, go back. Go serve that church, go involve them. I'm looking for a church that does you know, everything I like. None of us are here to please you. We're here to reach people. If you are visiting from another church, go back. Man, that is the dumbest thing ever, any pastor's ever said, but I truly believe that because I'm friends with all your pastors and I'll tell them you were here. 
I just know as a pastor, like I feel an assignment to preach and pastor a certain group, not their group, that's his job. And so listen, we invite, you say invite people to church, so we invite all our Christian friends. No, no, no. What if we were relentless in inviting lost people to church? And people that we believe they're gonna bust hell wide open and, and maybe the Lord's speaking to them through an angel going, I want you to go to church next Sunday. I want you to go to a small group this week. I want you to go, I want you to come near me. And they're like, I don't even know how to go. And then you show up and go, hey, would you like to come with me? You're an answer to prayer, right? What if we got relentless in inviting people to church, asking people from all backgrounds to our small groups, praying with people, take them to lunch or coffee, go, how can I pray for you today? Can God put that sort of hope in our hearts today? And can God change our hearts towards all people? Can God really change what we believe about who he desires to reach? See, I believe it'll change us. It'll change life point. Listen to me, it'll change our city. I think if the church would get this heart, it'll change the world. Literally, Caesarea was changed because Peter had a heart transformed and went there and preached the gospel. Lord, God, would you speak right to us today? This story of Peter's life and transformation is so powerful. Lord, I just pray that you would speak right to us. God, convict us of the groups that we've rejected or the, the lifestyles we've rejected or the people. God, you'll clean those things up. We don't have to qualify people to come to your house. So Lord, would you change that in us? Give us an open heart for people far from God. Give us a desire to see all people, all men, all women, those that are the greatest saints and the, the, the furthest from God. I pray that we would just have a love for all people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, make a difference in this world. Jesus, let it start in us. Let change begin in us we begin to love this world like you do. I don't believe you look at anybody and go, ah, to hell with them. Nope, not that group. I think you look at every person through the cross of Jesus and say, I died for you. I gave my life for you so you can live for me. God, I pray that we as the church would grow in that passion and that heart as well. Can we open our hands to the Lord? Come on, watching digitally or at our other campuses and here in the room, can we just open our hands to God and just pray this together with me? Say, Lord, I've heard your word. Say, Lord, I believe it's alive and active and here to change me. Say, God, like you changed Peter, would you change me? Whatever people I've pushed away, break my heart for them. Bring me to prayer for them, that I would invite them to know Jesus and come to your church. Lord, change me and change the world in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in your people. And Lord, we commit today that God, we're gonna go all in with Jesus and the heart for the missing and for this world. And if you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, if you've never fully committed your life to the Lord, I want you to do that right now. Come on, you're in a safe place to do that. This is the church of the living God. I want you to give your whole life to Jesus. Or maybe you need to recommit your life to the Lord. This is the year you're gonna go all in with God forever for real. Come on, just pray this with me right now. Say, God, I'm all in. Say, I believe in Jesus, that he died for me so that I can live for him. I give you my whole heart, my mind, my soul, my strength, I give you my life. I accept your forgiveness, I receive your mercy, and I humble myself, I will serve you for the rest of my life in Jesus' name.